0: Hello and welcome to OverInvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan and I'm here with my co host, Gavia. Hello. So, this week we are going to be talking about our biggest pop culture obsession. It's kind of amazing it's taken us this long to get to this show. It's something we talk about literally every day. It's the most popular show in the country, and that is obviously America. It's the longest running show uh, on television, it's in its 240th season. And it is its last season. It was announced early this year, shocking everyone. Um, We're still not really sure why it's coming to a close, but it's led to a really dramatic season, and we're really excited to talk about it today. In case you somehow are unaware of the history of this program, it has been going on for a really, really long time. It's always been really popular, but in the past few years with sort of the birth of major fan culture on the internet, and particularly Twitter, it's really taken off in a crazy way, Um, but over time it's had massive cultural impact, Um, inspiring shows like The West Wing, House of Cards, Scandal, recently Veep has been a parody, Um, but it's really complex, lots of complex mythology over the years, which we're going to dive into a little bit along with going over what's happening in this season, which is beyond what anyone could possibly have imagined. Um, So why don't we dive into what has been going on this year?
1: Uh, So this year, there's been a hell of a lot of plot twists, to say the least, Uh, but kind of the main arc is the election. Uh, So the two parties, uh, the Democrats and Republicans, go head-to-head every four years. And it's kind of like, sometimes it's interesting, sometimes less. So this year... um, You can kind of tell and like the writers have gone off the rails a bit with a long running show like this. I think it's safe to say that it jumped the shark, but instead of losing all of its viewers, it turned out to be unexpectedly really successful. So sometime halfway through last season, so it was like June 2015, uh, they reintroduced this recurring character, Donald Trump. He was kind of like a comedy character, right? But he's also, you know, there's interesting subtext there. There's a lot of commentary on, like, male privilege, the economy, that kind of thing. Because he's this weird billionaire character. Uh, but he declared that he wanted to be president. And it was pretty clear when he was introduced that this was just going to be like a six or eight episode arc. You know, he's an entertaining character, but he doesn't really feel like a protagonist. And he's not necessarily someone you expect to root for. Uh, but like Morgan said, this whole kind of growth of internet fandom, Twitter situation had some unexpected effects. And uh, now he's, like, the fucking king of everything. So he's, like, he's potentially going to be president. He is the the nominee for the Republican Party. And he has got this tremendous fandom now, this huge audience.
0: Yeah, which, uh, as we said, was not expected. So this is uh, the last season, supposedly. There are some conspiracy theories about whether or not that's actually true. But as far as we know, it is. Um, and... There are these long-running characters who've been on for seasons, 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 and two of the sort of dynasties over the course of the show have been the Bushes and the Clintons. And they brought out for this last season two members of those families: Hillary Clinton, who has been a longtime familiar uh, character, and Jeb Bush, the younger brother of President George Bush. Who is not as love Jeb Bush
1: great like, character. Absolutely one of my Fantastic.
0: favorite characters. <laughs> Fantastic, He is not as sort of um, well-known or popular a character before this season, but they obviously couldn't bring back, you know, W. And it was really expected by everyone that these were going to be the two protagonists of this season. But it turned out that Jeb was not nearly as popular with the viewership as the Donald, as Trump is called. Jeb is a kind of unassuming... Guy. He's a very funny character. I think we both really enjoyed his appearance on the show a lot. He's just like really entertaining, but he doesn't have the sort of obvious like television value that Trump does. The writing of him was a little perplexing, actually. I'm not sure what they thought they were doing, but it became obvious that that wasn't going to work. But people were in denial about it for a long time because it just seemed so impossible that they were going to go with someone. Like, I think I think we were as well, right? Because like we yeah. spent a lot of time like,
1: you know, analyzing all of media and like talking about this show especially And there was this really long period with the Republican like nominee process where they had like a roster of about 15 characters. And there was like no point for like months and months where we really thought that Donald Trump, we were like, oh, he'll sure be out next week. Like he's clearly doomed. And like every one of those predictions was wrong. And the only kind of thing that really makes me feel a bit better about that is that literally every other commentator was wrong as well.
0: Well, right. The writing was initially kind of baffling, and I think part of that was probably that they were just trying to get everything in in this last season that they possibly could. Like, 15 characters vying for that nomination is just ridiculous, right? Like, it's too many. That's not... Just it's just not plausible.
1: And just tying in with a common theme in our podcast, pretty much all of them were dudes. Like, (laughs) there was Carly Fiorina, who I did kind of like as a character because she was just terrible. Uh, Yes, but (laughs) but But, it was
0: all fucking dudes, right? And she was out really quickly and never a plausible winner. Like no one believed that that was possible at all. But yeah, the rest of them were men, mostly white, Um, and. It was just, like, overwhelming at the beginning. I mean, there were some people who dropped out pretty early on that, like, as we were doing some research for this podcast, I realized I had completely forgotten, like, Rand Paul. Like Who remembers Rand Paul? I had forgotten (laughs) Rand Paul. His father was a much better, you know, beloved character for many years, and they sort of wrote him his replacement. He never really worked. Um, But... It seemed like they really did kind of change their plans as they were going along. I think the character they anticipated was going to be kind of the outside antagonist was Ted Cruz, who is also just, I mean, from a writing perspective, I admire them so much for coming up with this guy. Like, he is just, the detail that went into him, it's unbelievable. He's the sleaziest person. He's so creepy.
1: (laughs) he's just just this fascinatingly creepy person and like the general response to him is really interesting because it's not even like a sort of love to hate situation it's just like literally no one likes him like (laughs) it's kind of for some reason like he just kept sticking around
0: and the actor they got my god what a face like just, (laughs) just spectacular the delivery really impressive but like even down to like backstory stuff like there's this whole thing about his roommate in college hating him and like he had a supreme court clerkship and was obsessed with the death penalty um our favorite detail is about right after he got married um i think we might have to just read this
1: yeah this is this is like hands down
0: one of my favorite things from the election that isn't actually terrifying (laughs) so he got married to another sort of very impressive professional woman. And apparently after this, again, I'll just read it. When I married Ted, Uh, this character says we got back from our honeymoon and he went off to the store and came home by himself and I was completely shocked to see that he arrived back at our apartment with literally 100 cans of Campbell's chunky soup I never bought 100 of anything this was so shocking to me so we had a tough conversation about it I said you don't buy 100 of anything much less canned soup we can't do this I'll be making things he said no I know you you won't be making things so the next morning it was a weekend morning I loaded up our car before he woke up and returned to Every single can. And when I got home, I called my mother just to make sure I'd done the right thing as a newlywed, and she emphatically disagreed with me. And so when Ted opened the pantry, I had to quickly tell him that I would go back and buy those cans again. I mean a level of character detail in that. (laughs) I can't like I can't conceive of that being a thing, right? Because it's like, oh, we've got this like strange marital
1: dilemma. My husband bought a hundred cans of soup, and now I don't know what the correct response is. It's like there really isn't any correct response. So the thing is, like, it feels like a warning sign, but also you can't divorce your husband because he bought 100 cans of soup, because then you're the crazy one. <laughs> so it's like this kind of vortex right, of like, weird lizard behaviour, which actually reminds me, we haven't mentioned the memes yet, because <laughs> obviously there's the Zodiac Killer meme where Ted Cruz is a Zodiac Killer. Big favourite 2016, and also like all of the Jeb Bush vines and fan vids, which I will include some in the show notes, because his like mannerisms he was this incredible combination of sort of low key banality like he was clearly you know when you get this impressive royal family there's the son who isn't necessarily you know stupid or whatever but just like isn't successful like they don't have any charisma and he's like forced to be the prince of this kingdom and it's like you can't do anything you can barely talk and then we would <laughs> point a camera at him sometimes he'll just he'll just sort of flop over it was really <laughs> really no contest for Trump and his
0: enormous manly hands. Yes, Trump has a big ego problem about the size of his hands, which again, like, yeah. the the idea of a writer coming up with that is so impressive to me, because I don't think that's anything I would have ever come up with, But it's really been a consistent sort of little plot thing throughout the season. Um, and I think that's something the writers have really excelled at, is bringing these characters back um, sort of in, in opportune moments and having details continue over the course of the season, it's been very consistent, um, which if you're having a TV show on every single day is really important because otherwise it could just devolve into mush that doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, so this primary went on and I think people were. Very deluded about what was going to happen. The other sort of major people we haven't talked about who ran were uh, the governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, um, and a senator from Florida, Marco Rubio. Neither of whom is really interesting in any way, but they were people that were expected to be sort of potential mainstream choices who might beat jeb bush and i mean i
1: thought it was going to be scott walker who's kind of terrifying and super villainous and then he vanished after no time and instead we got marco rubio who is just fascinating like because i hadn't i wasn't like super aware of him because like obviously like morgan is more into this fandom than i am i definitely am obsessed with it but like i'm not really there with the backstory i kind of arrived in the past five years marco rubio this guy he's just so pathetic right like he doesn't he doesn't have any kind of power to him. And it's just like completely no. destroyed his personal image really quickly. But then he just kept going because he seemed to think it was going to happen.
0: Right. And I think so, like fans of the show, for those of you who don't know, tend to be really in the tank for Republicans or Democrats kind of divides. And there are people who were just like so hated Trump that they really like were convinced that Rubio was going to do it. For so many months and it was so obvious to the rest of us that that was impossible and it just was like it was a little sad. It was also like, Trump always loves to make up these
1: nicknames for people like Crooked Hillary and like Lil Marco and like Marco was the one person where I was just like, this stupid infantile nickname is very fitting (laughs) because he's kind of like a confused little boy. And there was this period (laughs) where this was like a really great one off episode. It ran off one of the debates, which are always really good for ratings, um, which is, that he just, like, couldn't say anything beyond his pre-recorded statements, so he, like, memorized a couple of quotes, and there was this one debate where he just kept repeating the same phrase four or five times, and he became the Marco Bot.
0: Yes. It was really embarrassing. Just, like, so delicious. And I think that was kind of the moment when a lot of those people who had really been in the tank for him, realized that the writers were going in a different direction. Although again, the delusion about Trump for so long, I mean, just, it it really showed that like people didn't, thought the show was something other than it was. I mean, it it kind of like, usually when you see this stuff, it's about
1: shipping, right? Because yeah. like, when you see like, Sherlock, there's so many people who legitimately genuinely believe that Sherlock and John are going to get together and nothing will dissuade them otherwise. There's similar stuff with The 100, which I don't watch. There's a lot of people who think that um, the protagonist is going to get together with this guy. And like even when the actors and the showrunners and stuff are like, this is literally never going to happen. There are people who will like keep plugging away. And that was really like a strong... Theme this season with the Trump people and also with some of the Democrats who were voting for Sanders, which we'll get into once we kind of start talking about the Democrat side a bit more. There was definitely like this kind of strong overwhelming thread of people
0: not paying attention to the text and believing what was actually going on. It was more about like their desires and beliefs than about what the show was actually telling them, which was really fascinating to watch actually. And there is this massive sort of media structure that exists around this show. I mean, it practically has its own industry around it. There's so much writing, there's so much tweeting, there's so much going on. Fucking and hats,
1: s- the merchandise of the Oh hats. my
0: god, oh my god. <laughs> and so, in a way, I think people can sort of get consumed by their own ideas about it independent of what's actually going on, um, which again becomes really interesting to sort of talk about and analyze, but not what's literally going on. And eventually, what's actually happening does happen, and people have to sort of reorient themselves to that reality. And that reality was that Trump was the only person who sort of survived this endless carnage, um, which was really horrifying to a lot of people because he is this just incredibly unpleasant, bigoted, awful man. But... He is so full of just, like, drama and egotism that he made for unbelievably high ratings and just, like, just chaos. Um, And that sort of leads into this theme of just everything being unexpected and the systems breaking down in a way. So... This show has been going on for, again, hundreds of years. There have been seasons and periods where things have gone in a crazy direction. It's not like this is completely unprecedented, but for a period of time, there have been sort of um, rules by which rules that everyone has followed.
1: Yeah, and it's followed by like, um, quite a lot of repetitive narrative structures. You can really recognize character development repeating itself. I think this year they've got this combination of Nixon personality-wise there's some certain overlap with Donald Trump but it was more like Nixon towards the end of his presidency when he was getting really paranoid and like wasn't speaking to people and was clearly going off the rails but like without any of his political acumen and then you mix it with something from like 150 years ago like the Know Nothing Party where it's just like this shouldn't be functioning in like a modern drama like it doesn't make sense but then you get this fandom once fandom takes hold as anyone who's watched Teen Wolf will know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> things go horribly wrong <laughs> yeah and once you tie that into the fact that this is not supposedly the last season it makes you kind of evaluate that in a different way you know shows have a tendency to sometimes do different or interesting things in their last season and people have been wondering you know are they trying to make a point here are they doing something different deliberately how is this going to end which we'll get into a little bit later um, but there has been this theme of just chaos right so Trump is very much an agent of chaos. Things have been, he's not campaigning in the way that we've seen in previous seasons that we're familiar with. Um, And then there also have been a number of sort of one off episodes that have really um, emphasized that. There was an episode uh, titled The Oregon Siege that was just like wild.
1: That was was really one of my favorites because I feel like uh, sometimes you can introduce something which doesn't have any of the main cast that really sheds light on the kind of the general themes of a story. And the Oregon Siege worked really well with that because it ties into like a lot of foreshadowing that was happening before and during the early parts of Trump's campaign. So there was this small group of people who laid siege to a bird sanctuary. Um, and like, this kind of feels like a really typical West Wing single episode storyline, because it's sort of absurd, but it does speak to this wider dissatisfaction that people have that led them to follow people like Donald Trump. And it also is sort of, it's kind of this anti-fandom situation where the people there who are just like, we hate the way America is, and we think we can function independently. And the whole idea is that um they've just decided that if they can ignore the law, they can magically be like free... From the normal restrictions of society. So that's why they were like, we're gonna lay siege to this bird sanctuary. <laughs> yes. And it was kind of this combination of absurd but like quite frightening and disturbing like it turned quite violent um and it like because this season's been so eventful it's basically
0: been forgotten like that was you know that was the beginning of 2016 and then the other big example obviously is the scalia episode um which i think nobody was expecting um everyone always loves a good scotus episode obviously reliably good ratings for those but this wasn't announced in advance totally under the radar um scalia was always a sort of like love to hate character i
1: think i think just to like explain that a little more because like this is one of those things that's like a bit it's like a bit nerdy it's one of the things that's like it makes for an amazing episode but it's also like you've got to be kind of in the weeds a bit to be into it and it's so the supreme court um has this colossal amount of power but if you're not familiar with like america fandom you're maybe not clear on like why that's a thing um but the whole idea is that you have nine justices and uh when one of them dies they have to be replaced or they retire but because it's one of these sort of very weirdly old-fashioned things they tend to like hang on to the bitter end and if it's happening during the election year it doesn't actually influence people's votes but it can like influence the political landscape a lot and what happened is this incredibly conservative judge died and then all hell broke loose
0: yeah um and so their decision to kill him off was again, really unexpected. He was this uh, very popular character, whether you loved him or hated him, really distinctive person. Um, And then what that led to was President Obama um, nominating this other character, which now can't get confirmed because the Senate has to confirm a judge or justice, rather. and it's added this whole other dynamic, again, of like chaos and nothing happening the way it should. Um, and again, those themes kind of pervading through the season is really interesting, particularly because it is the last season. And that's something that we're kind of looking out for in um, the months ahead and does tie in a little bit to the democratic primary although i think we both agree that the democratic primary was not nearly as entertaining or as It was a lot more traditional and like yeah. the
1: personalities involved were just not as interesting like i think oh. should we move on to the democratic primary now yes yeah yes. there's like a really interesting contrast between trump and clinton who's the the woman who eventually became uh, the main candidate because she She's like this really long-running character, far more prominent than Trump, who previously was kind of this side comedy appearance person. And Hillary, she's not popular, she doesn't have this fandom presence, but she does still have this really big audience, and it's kind of mums, right? Yeah. You know? So it's like people don't necessarily think it's a real audience, because it's middle-aged women who maybe aren't particularly vocal. But because she's been like this prominent female character for so long, she does have this following. And she's also really disliked and kind of like Skylar White in uh, Breaking Bad, who I know you could talk about a bit more because you've actually watched the show. But there's this sort of audience reaction where people fucking hate her, like they really hate her. And it's quite difficult to tell a lot of the time whether they have valid criticisms or whether it's just misogyny. And that just colours so much of her entire appearance um, that like it's sometimes quite hard to gauge where her story is going.
0: Yeah, I think the Skylar comparison is really apt, particularly because she is married to Bill Clinton, who was president in the 90s, and is, again, this really long-running character who, despite having, you know, done some very questionable things and, you know, ethically sort of dubious character, is so beloved by everyone. He's so charismatic. Like, people just love him in spite of everything. He's heflon and you see that's what that's what kind of the good wife got wrong right because like we both love the good wife i
1: watched it up until the last season where it just got terrible and i stopped but like the husband character in that who is somewhat modeled off clinton has all of his kind of personality and plot aspects apart from the sheer charm and like the reason why bill remains so popular is because like he's so charismatic which which hillary clinton isn't which is kind of part of the cause of the situation
0: we're in now right exactly and this is just this really interesting dynamic of this really charismatic male character who, you know, has has done some not-so-great things, although it's not like he's presented as a, like, horrible man, um, but is really likable versus his wife, who, you know, isn't presented as, like, a saint or anything, but also isn't a bad person, but is wildly detested, and this sort of sexism of the audience there, again, you can compare this to a bunch of... Um, sort of prestige dramas, particularly Breaking Bad, is really interesting. Um, And then the way they chose to do the race also, I think, kind of emphasizes that. They introduced uh, an opponent for her, Bernie Sanders, who was this incredibly minor background character. He is a senator who's very, very liberal, hadn't had a high profile at all, but who is, again, this sort of, like, white man, very sort of crotchety, sort of yells a lot, who developed this massive, massive following, um, but is a sort of foil for her in a way that emphasized the gender stuff a lot, I think.
1: Yeah, and it sort of it plays into the whole idea of like the audience just really wanting something fresh,
0: which is yeah. sort of what they
1: had with Trump. Exactly. Not to like, compare Trump and Sanders, but it's sort of when you, if you're splitting the audience into like sides, yeah. if you've been watching the show for a long time and you're really invested, you're so frustrated that you want something that's interesting that's going to push the narrative in a new direction, and for like a lot of people, that was Bernie Sanders. And then you had this like conflict between the two of them that was so tied up in sexism. It got yeah. really messy quite a lot, especially within the fandom itself.
0: Yeah, definitely. And fans of Bernie, obviously, it was a wide range of people, and I this wasn't everyone, but there were a lot of his fans online, on Twitter in particular, who were just really vicious and unpleasant. And that, again, was sort of an interesting, um, development in sort of the internet in the past few years that not that this is like a new phenomenon, but it's something that you can see more obviously than you could in the past. Um, and definitely has to do, I think, with the fact that he was running against a woman and you had a similar dynamic, I think with Trump, again, not to compare or equate the two of them. When it became obvious that Clinton had won, and it, at a certain point, did become obvious. A lot of those fans, though not the majority by any means, simply refused to believe that this was the case. And again, it's sort of like refusing to engage with the text, and instead like, just deluding yourself. And it went on for a long time, and I think there was all this sort of fighting going on outside of the show, which was interesting to analyze, but I think very frustrating to a lot of people. The thing about the democrat side is like
1: obviously it's so much less action-packed and part of the reason why people kind of got so disillusioned early on before sanders really became a big thing is because the main drama for clinton was this incredibly boring and frustrating subplot about emails yes. which is like first of all if emails are your topic it's fundamentally not interesting. And yes. So it's one of those things where you feel slightly bad about being bored by it, because it is quite serious, but it's also like not intrinsically interesting. And it kind of spins over from this four year long storyline about Benghazi, where Clinton was sort of dragged into all these legal hearings because of a military action that took place in Libya. And the email subplot is a kind of spin off of this, where she had emails in a private server and everyone basically has been arguing about it for ages. And it's kind of gone to the point where like it's hard to gauge to what extent this matters, even though it's baked into her entire public persona now. And because this kept getting like dragged on, like on and on and on, there wasn't really room for like other interesting developments. Whereas the Trump campaign, quite a lot of the other aspects of this season had like amazing one-off episodes and like a lot of really upsetting one-off episodes. The Democrat side kind of had the endless email subplot. A few callbacks to like previous seasons, Bill Clinton stuff, and then there were like a couple of really West Wing style episodes that were almost tonally inappropriate for the rest of the year because like they were really
0: inspiring, (laughs) yes, (laughs) which was not how everything else went. And those episodes didn't really have anything to do with Clinton, which makes me sort of question what the writers were trying to do. Like that email subplot, like what? What their thought process <laughs> is, I have no idea. Like no, like, one, no one
1: wants to hear but emails, right?
0: Right. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a total mystery to me. I don't really know why they introduced it in the first place. I mean, I get kind of what they're thematically getting at with the sort of like Clinton conspiracy stuff, which has been going on for decades, but it's I'd just be just a lot more into like, it so if it was so like a really good conspiracy, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's so boring that it's just a mystery. With a couple of really good episodes that the Democrats did have, had to do uh, with the Congress uh, and with gun violence, which has been a big theme over the course of the season. There was a sit-in in the House of uh, Representatives, and there was a big filibuster with a sort of younger character named Chris Murphy in the Senate, that were both just, like, super inspirational and actually made a lot of people feel really good about what was going on in the show, which has not been the theme this season at all. It's more kind of a (laughs) car crash viewing. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of, I mean, they were great episodes, but it was a bit odd. But they did, the way they did kind of tie in was... That they let, they contributed in a very different way from a couple of those Republican episodes that we talked about to this feeling of, I don't want to say systems breaking down exactly, but kind of a little bit of chaos, right? So this sit-in in the House of Representatives, people were literally yelling at uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan when he was trying to call the Florida order. They were using their cell phones to like broadcast from inside the House floor, which isn't allowed, this is stuff that never, ever, ever happens. And, like filibusters do happen, but they're not that common. And this one went on for a really long time. I mean, this episode literally went on for like 14 hours, which is pretty unusual. Um, and, and also, so-
1: like the kind of the Chris Murphy aspect of that, like it's kind of like they finally added a new character because <laughs> one okay. of the things this year is like they did add like a bunch of characters who weren't really known before, but they kind of left really quickly and didn't really engage apart from Trump, who was, like I said, this really long-running character. And with the kind of filibuster... Um, like this double episode of the sit-in and Chris Murphy's filibuster, you bring in this old character, John Lewis, literally everyone loves him. He's like an amazing character. Um, He's like not at the point in his narrative where he's going to become the protagonist. Whereas with Chris Murphy, it's sort of like a decade ago when they brought in Obama and people were like, holy shit.
0: (laughs) Yes. But then this is also very peculiar because it's the last season. So this is kind of what's making people have these conspiracy theories about whether or not, it's actually going to end or they're gonna get a spin-off or what's going on because this guy was so charismatic and compelling like you would think you would want to continue to use him on a show so it's all very unclear what's actually going on but again those episodes were kind of out of the theme of the whole season in a lot of ways the sort of bigger themes of the or sort of questions that I think people have about that side of the show that democratic primary were stuff to do with a lot of representation, and we talk about sexism and sort of race issues on this podcast a lot. But while a lot of people loved Bernie Sanders like in a huge way, there were other people um, who I think, and us included, who I think very rightfully were sort of wondering why this character was introduced to be the really left liberal, sort of like progressive champion who is this old white man. Like, this seems like a very odd
1: choice. Which is, like, also happening in my show, right? The Britain show, which is totally very different and often really shitty. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) something like often kind of weirder in a way that I appreciate. But, like, we also have the same thing going on. But I think, to a certain extent, ours worked a bit better thematically. Whereas this one was quite strange. Because you've had this past five to eight years of this growing, ongoing narrative to do with, like, first of all, like, representation, as in, like, bringing... more diverse range of characters into the foreground but also a really obvious textual theme of like racism which is just obviously it's this is a huge part of all media but it's been like one of the central aspects of the show forever
0: and it's really had a resurgence in the last season well right and like obama has been president for eight years and that was something like everyone was so excited about that finally this show has been on for hundreds
1: of years. It is is shocked to hear that that resulted in a fuck ton of internet flame
0: wars. (laughs) Oh my god, like never ever before. Um, And then one of the major themes that I think grew out of this response was Black Lives Matter, which has been a big part of the show. And then they introduce Bernie Sanders, who is a white man. And then obviously Hillary Clinton is a white woman. It's very exciting that they have a female candidate, but the fact that she's white and has been around for so long has made some people also kind of disillusioned. And that kind of brings us to wider questions of representation within the show, right? Like this season in general has been very, very, very white. And, very dominated by men. Like, there were a couple people we mentioned in um, the Republican primary who were not white, but they got knocked out for the most part pretty quickly. Or I guess some of them stayed around, but they did eventually get knocked out. And then you get left with this Trump character who is just like a bigot on a mass scale, like, just unbelievable. Saying things like, we need to build a wall between the United States and Mexico, we should ban Muslims from entering the country, like, just really atrocious statements. I just, yeah, it's like, I've just spent the
1: whole year flashing back to Hunter S. Thompson's political writing from the, like, late 60s, early 70s. If you ever have a chance to read Hunter S. Thompson's stuff about the Nixon campaign, oh my god, the whole idea of his writing is that he was covering America from this kind of fictionalized, very surreal perspective that was colored by his own personality and sort of his love of extremity and also a fuck ton of drugs. And then yes. you see Donald Trump and he's literally the like real equivalent of one of those Ralph Steadman drawings where there's sort of like a person transforming into like a toad and spitting acid at the American flag or something. <laughs> it's like literally that
0: <laughs> well right and then I think people have sort of started to talk about, which I think is a really valid point of like what the writers are trying to achieve and the intentionality of what they're doing. And then also whether they have a kind of moral imperative to write something that does, that does have kind of a a moral point and also the effect it has on their audience. Right. So This is definitely increasing the level of bigotry among audience members, like that's just a fact. You can see it online. Yeah, and I think it kind of is like a combination of like the actual
1: content of the show is like not self-critical enough, right? Yeah. Like the narrative, like there's no, like they just haven't spent enough time pausing and being like, look why this is bad. Mm Um, and then also, like the coverage, like especially because there was, the, there was this really, really long period of several months where people thought that he was just a joke. And like to a certain extent, right. a lot of people still do. There's just no commentary. So you get this situation, like with the Fight Club movie, where people watch Fight Club. I mean, guys watch Fight Club. Yes. And they're like, wow, like wasn't that like a really great film about anarchy? Because there was only like a five minutes of commentary at the end being like, maybe this is bad. And everything else is like so subtextual that you need to have like a certain level of critical analysis. I think a lot of people don't spend that much time thinking about this sort of thing.
0: Right. And I think it's definitely possible that they are trying to make a point, but I agree that like if if they are, it's not like deliberate enough. And when you do stuff like this, like you are gonna get people Worked up, and I don't think artists always have to be kind of like responsible for the reactions of their viewers because you can never fully anticipate that. But when you're doing something as completely obvious as Trump, who again is this just like bigot on a mass scale, like I get that he's entertaining and he gets ratings, which they clearly are after, like that's the reason they're rating this character. But when it's this dangerous, like that's a problem, like it's really not good. Um, And it's something that now, finally, people are kind of starting to argue about, but it's taken a really, really long time. And again, this sort of like endless period of people just thinking he was a joke, I think was very dangerous um, and just bad. Not everyone did, obviously. There were people from the get-go who kind of were like, I think this is really going to happen. And also, this is pretty disturbing. But most of the sort of commentary was just like, this is ludicrous. And I kind of get it also, like... He's really interesting
1: to look at from the perspective of just the way people react to, to like really extreme personalities, um, yeah. because like the way he deals with these repetitive, really extreme news cycle storylines. Is very similar to sort of like an abusive relationship or a cult leader where everyone is just constantly kept on their toes for these really dramatic statements, like what horrible thing is he going to do to make everyone feel really stressed next? And then people become weirdly addicted to it, and that kind of means that like he gets more coverage and that leads to him getting more popular. And there's also like a lot of elements of gaslighting because one of the main themes of his entire run. Has been that he says stuff that is like very clearly offensive and insulting and disturbing, frequently just blatantly white supremacist, but it's through like this dog whistle statement kind of way, where he can say, Oh, I didn't mean anything by this (laughs) image of like a star of David or whatever, or like saying something that's like clearly a sexist statement and then walking it back. And then you've got this situation where white supremacists are looking at what he's saying and being like, "Isn't it great that he's bringing it to the mainstream?" And then like mainstream critics are being like, "Well, we're just going to neutrally quote what he said."
0: <laughs> right, exactly. There's a lack of um of like full engagement with the text, I think, that has sort of been going on for a while, just because the show has been on for so so long. But I think does get kind of dangerous at a certain point. And there is something interesting about what they're doing, right? Because it is so different from what has been the norm for so long and the like sheer absurdity of Yeah, everything. and it's
1: also really directed towards people's emotional reactions rather than right obviously all of this stuff plays into emotions because like, it's drama and it's politics and stuff, but usually there's a lot more logic and rationale even right. when it's playing off people's biggest opinions and stereotypes and so on. Whereas this kind of, it's just tunneling straight to the lizard brain.
0: His whole thing about just like saying things that are blatantly false and then within the show, people just believing it, I do think there's a point they're kind of making there, but again, the lack of like analysis within the text is what I think is making people on the outside, like the lack of commentary going into it. And that I think is the central flaw of the show this season. Um, Even if they are trying to kind of go in a darker, chaotic direction toward the end, um, which we'll get to in just a, just a minute. Um, First, I think we should give a brief update on what's going on now We're getting closer to the end. There are just a few months left. We did this episode because sweeps weeks are just over. We've had the big conventions uh, for each party, which are like the biggest ratings hits over the summer, always reliable. Um, And they were really fascinating. (laughs) Really interesting
1: to contrast and really interesting from my perspective, because like obviously Britain also has political conventions, right? But um, the Republican one, They didn't have like a lot of cameos or anything. There weren't any like cool celebrities, but you did have so much stagecraft, and there was loads of people were really predicting like a lot of chaos. There was tons of police presence there. People were expecting riots and so on. And then the Democratic one was, like, extremely emotional. Like, all of the stuff there was just people crying for, like, days on end. Like, people in the audience crying, people on stage crying, people having really intense, meaningful speeches. And there's balloons, there's pyrotechnics, and there's Katy Perry for some reason. And then if you look at, like, the British version, it's literally just, like, someone standing on the podium saying stuff. And last year, the Conservatives tried to have, like, a modicum of stagecraft. And they were like, okay, we're going to pose really impressively in front of these slogans. Um, And they did like power stances with their legs apart, and it just made them look like they were dolls that were going to fall over. It doesn't work, right?
0: I remember (laughs) that. That was so
1: good. That's why the thick of it is so good. Like, there was like, and also when you can kind of compare these kind of spin-off slash fanfic shows like um like house of cards, right? 'Cause like the American House of Cards is very like sexy and dramatic and filled with exciting plot twists and murder, kind of like scandal. And then the British one is like really realistic and dark and lasts for like six <laughs> episodes and then it's like fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god,
0: yeah. But yeah, the like Republican Convention was Just very odd, although I think in a way very dramatically effective because they brought back a number of the uh, previous characters. The most effective one was obviously Ted Cruz, who we hadn't seen for a while. And then the sort of typical thing is for all these characters to sort of fall in line with the Republican nominee once they've lost. And Ted Cruz came back and gave a speech at the convention where he... Was expected to do that but then refused to do that in a really dramatic fashion and it was pretty delicious for like a character that everyone hates.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those hilarious like, plot twists where like it's kind of like you feel like you're being tricked into like supporting something so deplorable, because 'cause you're like, this guy is awful, but like he's just done the closest thing to a principal stand that anyone has attempted in several months. I wanna see like a behind the scenes Cutout scene or something where he's just sitting around in like the green room with his feet up eating straight out of a can of soup with a plastic spoon (laughs) laughing at like trump's reaction it would just i i fucking want it i want it
0: yeah so that was great and then you also had appearances from trump's children who are just like bizarre robots like really unsettling very strange so that was and then he gave the speech that was just like
1: everything it's terrible and like i mean that was the point where the nixon stuff really came into play because yeah. he was just directly ripping off this kind of nixon law and order speech where he's talking about you know there's a crime wave and it's like but there isn't a crime wave
0: <laughs> you you right. just made up a crime wave <laughs> Really odd. And then totally different from the Democratic Convention, which was very sort of like optimistic. They had all of these celebrity cameos, which is normally how it works. Like they get celebrities from like actual Hollywood to come in and And they have kind of like cosplaying as an angel. Yeah, well, they kind of borrowed something from Scandal, which obviously is a sort of ripoff of. This show had her all dressed in a white suit, very effective. Um, it was much more diverse than the Republican convention as expected. Bill Clinton made his most extended appearance uh so far this season, looking like he was having absolutely the time of his life. Then he cried at one point. He got very ball- excited about the balloons. Yep. Yeah. That went viral online, big time. Uh, Obama made his most extended appearance this year, gave a speech that made everyone cry, myself included. Just, like, really great television. But now we don't know where things are going to go next. And there's normally sort of a way you can predict things from this point at least in a general sense and this year i feel
1: like i mean i feel like yeah there's like there's only really a couple of things we can predict which is like the finale obviously there's the election section which is like not for another three months there's also the olympics are happening pretty soon which is one of these sort of one-off episodes you get every few years and that is going to be a clusterfuck and then there's this subplot there's actually a couple of subplots that have like been going on and are about to come to a head and one of them is Zika, which was introduced like at the beginning of the year. And yeah. it's sort of commentary on American isolationism, because it's this huge problem, but because it's not actually entered America itself yet, it's not having attention paid to it. Um, so you've got that. You've got that overlapping with the Olympics. And then you also have this secondary packing thing, kind of, uh, is like sort of a sequel to the email situation, which yeah. it's a lot more dramatic because it brings in the international politics angle. Like there's um all of these democratic uh, emails were leaked by WikiLeaks. Julian Assange, who is this character who has been emulated by many films, but yes. the latest Jason Bourne film has him in it, like he's, he's a popular trope. He has this website where they, where they leaked all these democratic emails kind of indicating corruption within the party, which is like not surprising, but also it's good to have transparency, but it also um, leaked a bunch of stuff that was completely irrelevant and it was timed specifically to have an impact. Which is a really interesting and very dramatic plot twist. And the most dramatic part is, of course, who hacked the emails? Was it the Russians?
0: Yes, which seems to be the case. And now Trump is encouraging the Russians to hack more stuff, which it seems like they're doing with his so no one... personal emails. Right. Yeah. And so now no one knows whether that's going to be a sort of major plot thing or just sort of fizzle out. It's very Um, hard to tell, because at this point, people are so
1: sick of the word email that even if it is something scandalous, (laughs) will people care?
0: Exactly. So it really could sort of progress in a relatively predictable way. I mean, I use that term extremely broadly. Or it could devolve into something completely chaotic. I mean, nothing has happened basically in the way that we expected, except that Hillary Clinton got the nomination, which everyone knew was going to happen. But it does make me kind of think about, like, the last seasons of other big shows, if indeed this is the last season, which all things really do point to, Um, and what they're trying to do, I mean, their options are, right, Hillary wins, which would be kind of positive and reassuring, but not really that dramatically exciting, but ending on a bang with Trump winning would be sending a very dark message. And if that's sort of the point they're trying to make, I guess that would be interesting. Or they could just end in fire and brimstone. And that would certainly also be, you know, an option. Or maybe they just don't know what they're doing. I mean, in the last season of Lost, for instance, it seemed like they had a plan, and I guess technically they did, but it got to the end and no one was happy with what they were doing. I mean, so... that's the
1: thing. That's like the, the thing I really love about Lost is the story about their whiteboard, where like if you wanted, to, if like one of the writers wanted to add a subplot, they'd look at the whiteboard and they had to remove one of the existing subplots from the whiteboard and then put their own <laughs> on. Which like it's like obviously like I I didn't watch Lost myself, but like I do know that it's it's hugely important part of tv writing history really ushered in the past decade of these really complex long-run storytelling shows but also like
0: what a fucking mess you know (laughs) oh my god totally and there are some parallels i think because obviously this show like there are things like the clintons and the bushes that have sort of Continued for a long time, and then there's a ton of stuff that's just. I mean, I mean characters like that
1: get brought in and then kicked off. You're like, what? Who
0: was that? <laughs> I, I think it's inevitable. It's like on soap operas, right? Like it's just if you're gone for every day for hundreds of years, like it's this is what's going to happen. Like there's going to be stuff that just gets dished, which is fine. Um, but everyone does want things to tie up neatly, and that's kind of also I think why people still obsess about the ending of the Sopranos, which famously ended in a very ambiguous fashion. Like, it it just. Like, obviously, some people think that that's great, but a lot of viewers really want that sense of closure, and it'll be really interesting to see um, where they go with this. This is certainly not what anyone was anticipating, but it's been a very interesting ride, that is for sure. Um, but I guess it's going to be the end of America. So it's been an interesting ride up to this point, and uh, we'll and have to. And fight- all
1: of fandom is going to have
0: to just gently move over
1: to watching Britain, where we yeah. have a big Brexit thing, which we discussed like a few episodes ago. So you kind of look yeah. back at that, but like, oof. Yeah. I mean, on the whole, like even though it's terrifying, I would almost prefer to be watching America at this point because I have less personal investment in the characters.
0: <laughs> I- <laughs> oh boy. Well, thank you for listening in with us on this episode. Um, It is, as I said, our favorite show. It's something we talk about all the time. Um, And I know that a bunch of you are also big fans. Uh, So I hope that was enjoyable and not too overlong. Um,
1: We have a lot of stuff for the show notes this week. We have a lot of reference points and articles and kind of Jeb Bush finds (laughs) my favorite. So if you want to check in. Take a look at our selection of stuff in the notes. Please do, because there's a lot this week.
0: <laughs> yes, we've been we've been accumulating things for months and months, if not years. So uh, that'll be a good good primer. So next week I think we're gonna be back talking about Suicide Squad, which is gonna be a very interesting experience for all of us. Uh yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that film. It certainly had the most interesting marketing campaign.
1: It is the so- most popular film of the year. It is it is literally more discussed and more shared on social media. People care about it more than Star Wars, Star Trek, or Harry Potter or any of the Marvel films. People are so fucking hyped for Suicide Squad. I'm really interested to see it because like I have no personal investment in any of these characters and I'm also, like most other people, morbidly fascinated by Jared Leto's fucked up idiotic Joker, like method acting thing, which is just like the most obnoxious thing. So um Yeah, we'll be back for another superhero episode next week. Yep. Join us for that very strange turnaround from (laughs) this week's politics episode.
0: Yes. So again, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, as always, we would love it if you could give us a rating or review on iTunes. It's how we find new listeners. And you can also find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, and on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. See you next week. Bye. Thank you.